Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. Thank you so much for your amazing comments on the first episode of our eighth season, which started last week. Um, We're also very excited because this season we are part of Spotlight, which is a new programme from Apple Podcasts that highlights one creator every month that they think you'll want to spend a lot of time with. So I am absolutely over the moon and so excited that they picked Griefcast and it's uh, cheery grief chats to join them. It's now included as an official spotlight pick and if you have joined us because of the spotlight program, um, hi, welcome. I call everyone griefsters as a way of making it sound a little bit more cheery of what we're going through. Um, if you have just joined the show, there are so many episodes you can go back and listen to. I will be sharing some favourites on Instagram and Twitter at the Griefcast if you want to have a look at them. And yeah, basically this is a place we come to talk about death and grief as honestly and bravely and truthfully as we can, surrounded by a community of people who understand how you feel. So if that's you, as I say at the end of every show, and maybe I'll start saying at the beginning, you are not alone. Thank you for joining me. This week I'm talking to the incredible Fleur East. Fleur is an extremely talented person. She is a musician, a singer, a TV presenter, radio presenter. She has a new album that's out now, uh, which you can buy uh, from or stream if you head to her website. She came in to speak to me about her dad, who passed away very sadly at the start of lockdown last year in March 2020. Well, Fleur, thank you so much for coming to speak to me. So who are we remembering today? We are remembering my father, Malcolm, today. Malcolm. Was he Malcolm East? Or yeah, was that... Malcolm East. Yeah, Malcolm East. So when did Malcolm die? Uh, on the 15th of March, 2020. Ooh. Yeah, just before the first lockdown. Yeah. And I'm saying ooh as well because regular listeners will know I would count you as fresh. Yes. Like that oh, is a very okay. fresh, yeah, fresh grief. Mm. That's very, very new. Um so was he was he ill for a long time? Did you know it was coming or? No, for us oh. it was very sudden. I was coming back from doing Saturday Night Takeaway actually, and I'd just spoken to my dad that day. Wow! In the middle of filming, and usually, weirdly, I wouldn't pick up my phone while mm. I'm filming. Yeah. But I saw my dad call, and I was like, "Yeah, let me pick up the phone." So I answered, and we spoke for about half an hour, and he was just asking about the filming and how I was and what my plans were for the week. And then I was in a car traveling back down to London and I was texting him and he just watched the show and he was just saying, oh, I loved it and I've recorded it and I'm gonna watch it again tomorrow because I think there's some things I missed um, and I think it's great. And you've had such a long day, you're traveling back, you know, literally just a normal conversation. And then I remember um, sort of saying to him, okay, well, bon nuit, papa. I just wrote it in French. And then I said, um, je t'aime at the end of it. And then he sent me the little um, unicorn emoji, like with the kiss. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was the last thing we ever said to each other. And then I got home and at 1 a.m. I got a phone call from his girlfriend saying, your dad's had a cardiac arrest. You need to come now. And literally that was it. And then he died that night. Oh my God. Completely out of nowhere. He was absolutely fine. We didn't have any health issues or anything really. Oh my God. That is, a, that's, yeah. That's it. I've had other guests with like, you know, cardiac arrest from mm. nowhere. And it is such a shocking thing. Especially as you said, yeah. like when there's no health problems, there's no that like inkling in the back of your mind. Oh, they're not that, that they shouldn't mm. be drinking or eating that because we know that problem. 
So that must have been just, yeah, you're just dealing with total shock. So did you did you get to see him? Or by the time you got to the hospital, had he already died? Well, he was actually at home. So I think it was, about, yeah, about one in the morning when I got the phone call. And I rushed out of the house. I don't think I've ever left my house so fast. <laughs> and I got to my father's house in under 10 minutes. And I just saw an ambulance outside. And I ran in and ran upstairs. And he was on his bedroom floor. And they were sort of like resuscitating him. Oh, God. And um, there were about four paramedics around him. And his girlfriend was a complete mess. She was just bawling her eyes out. And then I just said to them, uh, hi, I know you're doing what you're expected to do, but please just keep doing it. Whatever you're doing, please just keep doing it. None of them responded to me, weirdly. They sort of just looked at me and then carried on. It was really odd. And then I hugged his girlfriend who was completely distraught. But in that moment, I, was, I wasn't upset. I wasn't largely panicked. I was sort of like, okay, I'm expecting to maybe go to the hospital tonight. This is going to be a long night. Right. You yeah, know, I was yeah. just like, you know, this is, I'm just ready to kind of take him there and we'll deal with it then. Mm. And then I came down to the bottom of the stairs and there was another paramedic there. And she just looked at me with a really serious face. And um, she said, so we've been here quite a while and I was like right and she said we've been here for 45 minutes trying to resuscitate him and I didn't understand what that meant I was just like okay and then she said usually after 20 minutes we would record that as a death and so it still wasn't registering and I just sort of said what are you saying to me and she said, well, even if we took him to the hospital now, there's, there's nothing we can do. There's literally nothing more we can do. And I said, I don't, I don't understand. What are you trying to say to me? She said, unfortunately, there's nothing else we can do. And in that moment, I just broke down. I was just like, oh my goodness. I screamed the loudest I've ever screamed. Mm. And just cried. I just couldn't believe it. Oh my god. That is such a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a lot to deal with. And also a phone call in the night. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're already not quite with it and you're already like you said and I think it's so common with cardiac arrest situations where people like you said like you're preparing for okay well he's ill we're gonna get to hospital and I think that's Mm. a narrative a lot of us have in our heads of like we'll get to hospital doctors will do something and to just have that door closed to not even get to the hospital. Yeah. So did they just stop resuscitating him while you were still there? Yeah, so they just stopped. I think, you know, now in hindsight, I realised that when I walked in and said, just keep doing what you're doing and no one responded, mm. it was because they knew that he'd, he'd died. They knew there was yeah. nothing more, but no one could really say anything to me. Mm. It was almost like they were just doing it, like to be yeah. kind or something, I don't know, or to show that they were trying. So then they took him off of all the... They had like loads of wires and stuff in the room and they took all of those away and then just sort of left us there with my dad. At that point, I called my sister, who was obviously asleep and woke her up and I was like, you need to come now, you need to come now. They're saying there's nothing they can do. You need to get here. And as soon as she arrived, she just ran up to the top of the stairs and saw me and she saw my dad lying on the floor and she just looked at me and she was like, what, what? And then I just shook my head and then she literally just bawled her eyes out. And I was just holding her. And we were both just crying for ages. And then we went into the room. By that time, I'd called my mum, who's very religious. She was praying so much. Mm. And then my mum arrived, but she stayed downstairs. Because I don't think she could really face it, to be honest. Mm. So then me and my sister were just upstairs, sitting on the edge of my dad's bed, just looking at him just laying there and it was such a surreal thing because it just looked like he was asleep it didn't make any sense Mm. oh my god especially when it's you know like someone hasn't been ill you're you know you haven't been waiting in a hospital Mm. of course they look like they're asleep (laughs) that's the last you know they're not their body isn't ravaged by illness or anything like that no so I guess, and it makes sense to me, but I can understand how it was confusing to you that the paramedics just left you because obviously they've done what they can, but then you're just left with 
yeah. a dead a dead person that you, yeah. a dead father mm. did you have to kind of what did you do <laughs> like what what was the next steps i mean you must have just been in total shock uh, yeah i think there were long periods where we were literally just sitting there yeah just staring at him because we just couldn't come to terms with what happened mm. and i was almost in the back of my mind thinking oh they don't know what they're talking about like he's gonna wake up any minute mm. now he's gonna wake up that's what i was thinking I just couldn't, I couldn't get my brain around it. And then after a while, a few more family members came. So two of my aunties arrived. My husband was downstairs. He was distraught. He was, it's funny how everyone reacts differently. But my, yeah. my initial reaction was I screamed and just started crying. My husband like grabbed something and just chucked it across the room because he was just so angry. He was like, no, this can't be happening. And everyone's sort of like, going through this in their own way yeah. all, all around the house and then there was a moment where I kind of slowly started to realize that it had happened but I wasn't ready to say goodbye to him mm. so there was sort of a moment where I sort of just laid on the floor like next to him because I was like yeah. I can't leave yeah <laughs> I just couldn't couldn't even fathom leaving and then him not being there of course, because then it's real. Yeah. You know? So your bo- it's really it's really strange and weird what your body does. <laughs> and your body sort of makes decisions. And I think, because we spend most of our life with our brain being sort of in control and brain telling you what to do. And yeah. I think when this a shock happens, your brain is just like, I'm out. Doo! Like, I'm not here. <laughs> and so your body kind of goes, no, I need to be near him. I need to lie down because I need to, might, like, mm. we need to somehow be where he is so we can go, he's dead, that's what's happening. And your brain is just like yep. off somewhere else going, I can't, sorry, I'm going to go shopping. Like, I can't even take this in. And yeah. I think I think that's so, yeah, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people and that's so common that just kind of this weirdness, weird gear that you shift into and you just stay there. So, of course, you don't want to leave because it's real and what was it you know a couple of hours ago you were in your bed asleep and it wasn't real like it's yeah. it's too much for a brain to take a, a shocking death like that and it yeah it's it's really really difficult so I guess eventually you had to you know call coroners and well yeah directors. all of that's yeah. a bit of a blur I don't really know who who arranged that or who did that at the time because yeah. I mean I don't remember any of that but I remember that the coroner arrived and this man just walked up and saw us in the bedroom and said, we'll leave you for a few moments. Um, we're downstairs, but we're going to have to take him. And there are some forms that you're going to have to fill out. But we'll leave you because we know that this is really difficult. So whenever you're ready, just come downstairs. And then I think my husband maybe gave them information and stuff while I was still up there. And um, me and my sister were just sort of looking at each other. And she was like, but I spoke to him yesterday and he was fine. And I said, yeah, I, I texted him a few hours ago. Mm. He was, I mean, he was perfectly okay. And we were just sitting there and then I said, cause my auntie I think came up and said that they need to take him at some point. I mean, my sister just said, we don't, we don't want him to go. We don't want them to take him. And then, um, by that point, my mother still hadn't been upstairs. And so we sort of said, well, mum, you're going to have to come up because they're, you know, they're going to take him. Mm. She came up and then I think that's when it hit me even more because she just broke down. <laughs> she just couldn't contain it. I've never seen my mum cry like that before. <laughs> it was so sad. And I think that hit me even more because they hadn't been together for years. But she, she just grieved so hard. And it, yeah, it was horrible. I think it's very, in shocking circumstances, often you're a bit numb. And when someone else reacts, it allows you to go, oh, this is awful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't, because again, your brain is sort of protecting you and kind of being like, they'll wake up, it's fine, it's not happening. And yeah, when you see like, yeah, a parent or an older family figure really grieving like you said it, it it's like I think it's helpful in a way because it kind of it's all part of dealing with the shock but it's very yeah. painful it doesn't stop it being painful but it does allow your brain to go oh 
it's real this isn't a dream like because so much of you just can't take it in so yeah yeah seeing your mum like that it just highlights what what is going on inside you that can't isn't ready to come out yet yes exactly oh that's just it's such a and also so we're in the middle of it's about to be lockdown yes and I know this because I had my my son just before lockdown so I had my son in March right, the beginning of March. Okay. so I know that time period where it was like oh it seems like this is getting more serious like people keep talking you know and everyone kept saying it was going to go away so it's just before he yeah yeah literally I think a few days before lockdown yeah yeah and so they finally I guess they finally took him but yeah did you have to just come down and say that must have been so hard to say I'm also I think it's a funny question to ask you come down when you're ready I'm never going to be ready yeah (laughs) well exactly you're gonna have to come and take him because I can't go you know what it's fine now it felt like we were there for hours Mm. It just felt like it was such a long process. I think someone had to come up at some point and say, okay, you know, we need to do this. So we came downstairs and I filled in the forms. And I always remember this because this is such a, an odd memory. And I guess people maybe react this way sometimes. Like you use humor to just, I don't know, mm. deflect or I don't know, come to terms with it. And I had a show. I was booked to do a show the next day. And um, me and my husband had been um, doing some fittings for my outfit for the next day. And there were some things we had to alter in the morning. And um, as soon as I was fill- filling out the information as next of kin, um, we were sitting at the table and, and I said, oh, goodness, that show. That show tomorrow, I'm not going to be able to do this show. And, and he was like, don't worry about it. Like, I'll deal with all of that. And I went well, at least we don't have to do the alterations then. (laughs) And I literally just burst out laughing and he he looked at me and went, what? He's like, how can you you say that right now? And then he laughed. So we were both just sitting there laughing and it was such an odd reaction, but it was almost Mm -hmm. like, I didn't know what to say in that moment. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry really. It's so common. And we, again, this comes up all the time of like, you know, we made jokes after my dad died and we were in the room with him. Mm. He died of of cancer. And so it wasn't, you know, it was very quick. It was eight, eight weeks from yeah. diagnosis to death. But it wasn't, you know, a couple of hours. Wow. Um, and I, we talk about this so much of like, you're human. Like, we make jokes when things are sad or funny or angry. Like, you make jokes in arguments when you're screaming at each other. It's yeah, like, that's true. That is how we sort of process things. And I think especially in shock it's so normal to make jokes around death because you, part of you is still kind of going, it's not real, it's not real. Mm. Like, sort of not happening. And and my mum always said, if you don't laugh, you cry. <laughs> so yeah, think, well, yeah. You know, sometimes you, it, it's so awful to think, oh, I had this whole day planned and this joyous thing and that's gone. Mm. And your brain just goes, it's actually so awful. It's kind of funny, isn't it? And you're like, yeah, it's actually come right round to yeah. being the saddest thing that's ever happened to, yeah, we don't have to make alterations. Oh, yeah, it's it's such a common way of dealing with stuff. And I think it's it's healthy, really, as well, mm. because it kind of, like, gives you that moment to be like, oh, okay, like, you also can't cry constantly. No, that's something I've learned. That's one you can't thing, literally yeah, cry before. Yeah, you have to have breaks. Your brain is like, yeah. I need a break. So whatever we need, even if it's just, like, staring at something for 20 minutes or laughing. Um, so... You went home. What happened about the funeral? Because I guess right at the mm. height, at the height of it all, with you know, as we remember, there wasn't any. There wasn't any. People weren't allowed to do anything. It wasn't like no. you know, rule of six or anything. So how did you even get to have that um, ritual? Well, it, that was a strange period because then I had to learn about probate and mm. to get the death certificate and all of these legal things that no one really talks to you about, really, because although we know it's inevitable for everyone I guess you don't really have that conversation yeah um, unless you're super duper prepared for that and or you're very realistic about things um, and it was me and my uncle that were the executors of the will so I then had to deal with that with my uncle and it took us so long to get this the um, certificate of death because because of covid oh because around that time a lot more people were dying yeah, of course. Um, 
and so there was like a backlog and it was just taking so long and then it took a while to even get the autopsy as well his body was kept for a while i think maybe a week or i can't remember how long and then so after that point we were then told you can have a funeral but you can only have i can't remember what the maximum was then maybe like eight people or something like that it was really small the number and yeah you can't really sit next to each other if you're not in the same household you can't hug you have to wear masks all of it was really strange so we did actually have the funeral but it was only a few of us and what was really difficult was my father's siblings um were in Bournemouth and his brother was the only sibling that was in London so his two sisters couldn't come to the funeral because no one was allowed to travel then yeah so we couldn't even do something remotely or have them back at the house or anything like that so we had the funeral and my uncle set up a camera to record the funeral so that my aunties could see it so that was weird in itself because who films a funeral i mean maybe some people do but in in a normal typical circumstance i guess we would have just had our family there and we wouldn't have recorded it yeah but we felt that they had to be included so we did that and then we came out spent some time together put some flowers down and then that was it we couldn't really hug or cry or mourn how you usually would it's so hard it's so like we've been saying this all this past year on the show that grief is shit grief's really Mm. shit yeah and to have to go through grief which is already a shit thing underneath these circumstances it's just the phrase i heard which i was really stuck with me is trauma on top of trauma Mm. like it's already traumatic and then to add like you can't just hug your aunt you can't just like especially when you must have all just still been in complete shock yes like just absolute shock and that is when you really need touch you really Mm. need people to like hug you and ground you and be like you're here you're real it's okay this is not like this is what's happening so that must have been so difficult and i guess as well like were you also kind of concerned about cope like it must have also been like oh god there's this thing like that could kill us all we don't even know what at much yeah. none of us knew what the hell was going on and then it was like people were like bleaching their shopping you know it was mm. like uh, who knows so you're in shock and you're dealing with the shock of oh the world just shut down like it must yes. have been so difficult to deal with what did you do well this was the thing i think for me i now will forever associate the pandemic and the world shutting down with the death of my father and for me it felt like the timing was actually kind of great in a way because that sounds really weird but it's just because everything had shut down so I didn't have to go into work Mm. I didn't have to face anyone we didn't have to have a funeral with so many people there because there would have been like uh, well around 100 if (laughs) if we did it in a normal circumstance like he my dad would make friends with the with the postman that was kind of man he was so everyone would have turned up all our neighbors friends family and i think actually not having to face everybody at that Mm. time helped a lot because then it felt like everyone was mourning with me because everyone had stopped to respect my dad that's how it felt in my head yeah and i think we had another guest jess robinson who's a um comedian singer and um her father passed away i think just after the first lockdown Mm. and she said a really similar thing and we've talked about the show again a lot like when you lose someone not in a pandemic (laughs) Mm. one of the hardest things is that you have everyone else is normal and there's this feeling that you're like looking out the window and you're like how are they laughing yes how are people people going to the shops and you get angry that the world is carrying on and you want Mm. everyone to stand still and be like the worst fucking things just happen and actually the people i've spoken to obviously obviously it's not wasn't fun it was still awful but yeah the idea that you didn't have to go to work the world had stopped it feels like everyone was in kind of the same headspace as you i mean (laughs) yes you know grief is shit so if you can have any benefits like take them yeah that was the one yeah yeah yeah. definitely and i mean i guess especially people who work in the performing industry 
are normally extremely busy mm-hmm. like there's like gig after gig after shut you know there's your I know from myself and my friends the diary was insane yes and it just stopped yes so you would have been grieving having to go on stage having to do television and mm. you just didn't have to do all those things yeah there was another guest Sam who lost his wife um last year and he was saying in one way it was great because everyone was with him but he said in another way he has been it's been hard with it easing because suddenly it was like oh now oh now the world is now it's the world without my wife precisely and I still haven't really got to experience that fully yet yeah 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 so while you know most people are like this is great we're going back to normal freedom day yeah let's get back out there and I'm almost like oh this is weird because now I'm going to have the first party without my dad or, you know, just have life back to normal without my dad there. And I haven't experienced that yet. Yeah, that's what he said about uh, his wife, Kim, who, again, very sudden death, very, very healthy, completely fine. And she had a, a stroke. And and he was saying it's like, yeah, everyone being excited about it, with him being like, oh, I've, I've been in this bubble, this yes. grief bubble, and I haven't had to go to Sainsbury's without her like walk past that Mm. shop without her like all these little firsts that when and that's the thing when you lose someone not in a pandemic it's so awful and so painful but it kind of forces you to get back into the world in a way that is hard but also sometimes good because you kind of you have to so yeah like I guess it's do you feel like it's delayed your grief slightly slightly but also has been like a form of therapy Mm. for me as well because I haven't had to face anything too quickly yeah, and I've yeah. had to, I could do it in my own time and sort of pace myself. And I think that's made it easier. Um, yeah. And, you know, our family got so much closer as a result of it and started a WhatsApp group instantly that we never had before. Oh. And just throwing jokes in there every day and checking up on each other all the time. And me and my sister have always been really close, but we were doing FaceTimes for like six hours because we couldn't see each other. So we got even closer and I think just having that separation as well made it easier I think if I was around all my family instantly and saw my father's sisters crying and I think it just would have been overwhelming yeah yeah it's it's such a strange time we've been living through and the like consequences of it have been I mean I found this like having a baby during this process of so much unexpected things so much like you said like I did not think that would be what would happen but yeah of course I guess because you can't be near each other you can't take it for granted you can't be like oh yeah we'll, we'll speak to them next week then you know yeah. we'll go around there when we're ready you're like no no I ne- I need to connect with them and that that feeling of connection is mm. so important after grief like you really like your your loved the ones that are in your inner circle suddenly become like Oh, so, so, so yeah. precious mm. and you're like where are you going be careful please don't cross constantly yeah. <laughs> like, constantly yeah and do you feel because um with other guests as well when it's been shocking like do you feel like you're still managing the shock or do you feel like you've kind of you're coming through it slightly like you said because you've had that time in lockdown I think it has helped and I think I've always been the kind of person that talks about my feelings I've always been that way so if I ever came home from a long day and it'd been really stressful my husband bless him (laughs) would get like a whole hour of me breaking down why I was upset what annoyed me why you know that's staying with me what I need to do to understand it more (laughs) to get over it and then if he's bored of it then I'll call my sister Mm -hmm. have another vent session with her then I'll call my mother it's like (laughs) I'm that person and then once I've done it then I'm fine so i from the beginning I was talking about my feelings quite a lot I I was never in denial about it I didn't suppress anything so I think that's helped me a lot I think talking about it and that's partly why I wanted to come on here today because you feel like when you seem okay everybody in your life thinks you're okay Mm. and that you're over it so they carry on with their lives and they think they can joke about whatever in front of you and you're not going to be affected Mm. and then you're sort of like oh okay no you you guys have moved on you've forgotten that I lost my father Mm. only you know a year ago okay so I'm gonna have to deal with this bit on my own and so I felt like talking to you today would be part of my therapy again because I haven't really spoken about it too much recently yeah and I think it's interesting for me when people come on the show to me you're so fresh 
like that mm. you're not even you've just done a year but yeah. people who aren't in the club as we say on the show would be like oh a year's quite a long time but anyone in the grief world knows mm. a year is you know I'm 20 plus like wow. it's yeah. you know I'm fine most days but it's it's not it's never the thing we talk about all the time of like grief doesn't just disappear after a mm. year like you learn to live with it your life grows around it you learn how to carry it a little bit better but yeah. I think people really hang on to this idea that it goes away and so they see you smiling and they see you maybe joking about something else they think oh she's doing really well yeah she's that's really great I'm so pleased for her and you're like Mm -hmm. I'm not done (laughs) yeah I didn't just forget my dad died like exactly it's still there welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd so have you found a kind of expectation that you should be inverted commas like fine now well no but I think because I don't know it was a weird it was weird timing for me because as well as the lockdown I just released an album oh, wow. like literally a few days around the time my dad passed away and there was like a social plan and there was you know the release date and everyone everybody had to press go on Spotify and mm. you know all these things and I was like I can't deal with that and my husband yeah. just dealt with it all for me and he was like you don't stress. You know that your father was so excited about this album coming out. You have to put it out. Mm. You know, you've just got to do this. This is this is your one true love. And you know your dad would have wanted this. And I agreed with that, but I couldn't really face it. So then whilst I'm sort of locked away and, and grieving, my socials are popping. There's like <laughs> music every day. My album's out. People are streaming it. I mm. haven't even like spoken really at this point it's just all my promo stuff is out yeah so people were sort of seeing that and I only the people that were close to me knew that my dad had passed away I hadn't even announced it on social media at that point I remember actually someone close to me contacted me in that time and sort of said hey um, do you think you could do this thing and sort of just like as everything was back to normal Mm. and I replied like a couple of days later and said um just so you know I'm still kind of like going through things like I hope you can understand that this is really tough and blah blah and they sort of came back and went no of course I just I saw like you were on social so I just assumed that you were you were dealing with things okay and I was kind of like I don't even know how to explain this to you but I just kind of went no 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 that's fine of course like social media is what everyone looks at now don't they they just assume that that's your mood but I felt like I had a duty to just continue with that obligation and and put my music out because I do know that my dad would want that and then finally when I plucked up the courage I then did put a post out on Instagram and it wasn't like I felt like I had to do that but it's almost as as though I it was part of it and part of me realizing that it it actually had happened Mm, I felt like the moment I put it out there to my fans everybody who followed me and everyone who knew I'd spoken about my father a lot on my socials that then, okay, this is it, it's happened. And it's out there. It's funny, isn't it, the social media thing? Mm. Yeah, I can see, especially, I mean, especially at that crazy time. <laughs> like, who, what were any of us doing at that point? It was, it was insanity, mm. that those weeks in March and April. And then, yeah, for someone to look at your profile and be like, oh, she's fine, you know, she's released her album. Mm. Um, yeah. Like, yeah I have things can be pre-recorded that's how it works (laughs) but yeah I can see that that pressing like um share or post or whatever it is on Instagram is a part of that journey for you because yeah it's making it it's making it real Mm. and I guess I'm sure well I don't know if you tell me (laughs) I don't want to assume that that was a large part of moving through that shock of yeah. something becoming real because yeah sudden sudden shocking tragic events like that are just from my experience of talking to people it, the first six weeks are just shock for like a normal normal inverted commas mm. death you know like someone dying in their old age and then when it's something like that it's your your body your brain like everything is trying to process like it happened it happened it happened yeah and I really had that like with with my dad I said it was very um quick from diagnosis to death and I think I spent years in shock, like absolute years. Obviously, I was like wow. much, much younger. Yeah. yeah. And I think also with shock, it's a bit tricksy because like I think every time you think you're all, I'm not shocked anymore. <laughs> like a year later, you're like, 
I was shocked. Mm. I was still in shock. But you kind of, it's it's like a very slow unfreezing, isn't it? So like, like every yes. inch is important. Every inch is like, oh, okay, now I'm a little bit, I can take in that, I can take in that, I can see that. I always describe it as like, you know, it's like a bomb blast and you just keep walking slightly further away from it and looking mm, back yeah. and being like, oh, that happened. Oh, that happened. But you have to keep looking and you have to keep talking about it. She said yes. that's, that's so important. Did you seek therapy or did you feel like you are someone who talks anyway? So <laughs> as I, I'm relating as somebody who talks a lot. <laughs> my husband has to deal with my one hour performances. Yeah, yeah performances. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what they are. Let me tell you why I'm annoyed, why they were wrong and why I was right. <laughs> In three easy stages. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then attack it from several different angles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's um, I think me and my sister were quite sensible, I guess, in a way mm. when it came to this. So we both said, we need to go to therapy. And I think it was my sister that found an app. It was a therapy app on her phone wow. because obviously it was locked down. So we couldn't even go to see a therapist if we wanted yeah. to. Um, so she found an app and then she sent it to me. And she was a lot more ahead in the process, I guess, when it came to that. So she'd already been to a session. And then I sort of waited for her to give me the feedback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to do this. Mm. And by that time, it was only a few weeks, maybe a month since my dad had passed away. And I was like, right, I'm ready to go to therapy. I think I'm dealing with this okay. I've got this. I got into the therapy session. And literally all she said to me was, so tell me what's happening with you and the minute she said that I just broke down and I was mm. crying all over again and it was like it was fresh it was almost like it just happened that day yeah and I couldn't even it was like that uncontrollable crying like <laughs> and then and I was literally like this and I thought what what I thought I was well ahead of this and and then it all just came back again and I felt like I was back to square one again um, and then I had a couple more sessions with this woman and it was amazing actually just talking to someone who didn't know my dad and someone that wasn't family and someone that wasn't gonna cry when I cried mm. <laughs> um, it was actually really helpful really really helpful I mean it's funny though isn't it like the pressure we the timeline that we put on ourselves like four weeks after a sudden death of course of course you're still crying <laughs> like of course and you know I, I remember being the same of like oh six months you know probably ready to move on now mm. and like it's just <sighs> grief doesn't go away I've said this before like it, it waits head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the award-winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark very patiently for you mm. and it, it's I used to be really scared of that I used to be so scared like this monster in the room and then I it's taken a lot of therapy uh, to be mm. like it's it's not malevolent it's just this thing that needs to be dealt with and I think we're so quick to be like well how can I deal with this as quickly as possible then I'm gonna feel fine and I'm gonna go back to before this mm. like I want to get back there and it's you know you're not you're not no. and so yeah of course four weeks after a phone call in the night seeing him lying on the floor like that is so much to yeah. unpack that's proper like ptsd mm. territory you know and i mm. i think i think it, i mean it's ama it's amazing that you that you were dealing with that, that early i think that's really good to to make sure you're talking about it because it i think for some people it's just so frightening they just cut they just shut down mm. completely and thank god that's the thing again i know we've all said this so much like those lockdowns were so awful but thank god for technology thank god that there yeah, was an app exactly. that you, uh, you know that you could 
find that person in in the mist so did you do a few sessions did you carry on or did you reach a point where you were like I just need to break from this because it's that first year is really difficult yeah it's hard I did like three or four sessions and I think in the last session we were just clearing out my dad's house because that was Mm -hmm. a whole other situation we had to go through where it was selling his house our childhood home clearing out the house going through all his belongings looking at all his pictures packing his clothes all these things it's like the night that he passed away me and my sister both took things from his house to keep with us my sister took I think a jacket of his and I took a hat of his and I was just like holding his hat that night and then when we were like when we were emptying his house I found like these favorite combat trousers that he had they were like dungaree like pilot trousers yeah yeah and he was always so precious about them and never wanted me to like wear them or where are you gonna wear them bring them back like you know and that, that was the first thing that I wanted and I just grabbed them and I think I wore them for like maybe two weeks mm. I was just wearing them all the time because they still smelled like him and so I was holding on to them and when I was talking through all the memories um in my therapy session I was smiling and it was the first time that I was smiling and I wasn't sad and mm. and she sort of said to me she was like oh, look at you look at you like what an amazing man your dad was mm. what a character you have so many memories you've had such a great life with him and it was really positive at that time so then after that I didn't really have another session again because I just felt I felt like yeah I feel good about talking about my father now I feel like I've come over a really difficult period I've come through that now I just think it's it's really good that you have sessions sometimes just to get you through that that period like you said like that initial shock just to have someone hold your hand through that Mm. kind of oh my god they just died and I think yeah therapy kind of it's the amazing thing about therapy is it can come and go when as and when you need it exactly yeah but yeah if you if you have happy memories and you know some people don't they don't have great relationships with their Mm. dad and it sounds like you were obviously very close to him and very in touch with him and all of that stuff like from what I've read, like that is very helpful to the okay. grieving process. Oh God, yeah, yeah, because you know that is grief. Is you start looking back at your relationship and what it was, and actually who were they and what did they mean mm. to you? And if you can find like bits of gold in that, as well as the like, obviously, you know, everyone's a flawed human being and be like, oh yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that maybe wasn't okay. Um, but the, that's so important to sort of putting your heart back together, you know, of being like, okay, there, there's this goodness and then there's that. And there's obviously the trauma of how he died. That's really sad. But what we had was really important. Like all of those yes. things sort of help you, you know, put yourself back together as best you can so mm-hmm. early on. How did you find the first anniversary? Because obviously you've just, you know, just a few months been through that. Yeah, that was strange. Because like I say, I think everyone had moved on. Well, that's yeah. what it felt like. <laughs> Um, and you almost like you get offended that people are moving on with their lives Mm. and you just think how can you not remember that it's been a year since my dad passed away or how can you how dare you laugh on this day and things that you just get these feelings Um, and I had to have a word with myself a few times and just go look you know you've got to understand they're not in your shoes yeah you know they they won't understand unless they've been through it they won't understand because I felt that everybody who'd lost a parent that I knew would constantly check in on me yeah because they just knew exactly what it was like so it was like every two days how are you feeling today it's gonna get easier you know it's like (laughs) hang in there thinking of you you'll be all right send you brownies like exactly and I felt like I was part of this club it was really Mm. strange it was like oh there are people out there like me I'm not on my own um and then me and my sister and my mom decided to meet up that day and we went to visit um the place where we used to always cycle with my dad in Epping Forest and we um there was this bench made out of a tree it was cut out of a tree we used to always sit there on our little breaks so me and my sister went there with my mom and just visited it and just sat there and just had a little moment and just spoke about my dad and remembered all the good times we had with him and had a little drink we had a little cider (laughs) and um just sort of like cheers to him and it was actually a nice day because 
at that point we'd not that we were over it but we'd spoken so much about my dad in that first year yeah that it was we wanted to just be positive on that day and just celebrate him and so that's what we did and so it was quite a joyous day actually it sounds lovely like I think Mm. if you can do something that if you can do something that feels connected to the people who are still here and connected to them and peaceful and calm and and loving like that's because I get asked a lot on our Twitter like oh what should I how can I do what how do we do the first anniversary Mm. and I always say like either do something you enjoy or something they would have enjoyed (laughs) like those are like you know if everything they enjoyed is like your worst nightmare if you don't want to watch like five hours of Formula One that's fine (laughs) do something you want to do and then they would be happy that you are happy yeah but yeah, I think that's, I think that's really important. And I can relate in that way because this year has been so hard for everybody. So with grief, I think you do constantly feel like, God, my God, literally no one fucking cares. Like they, they haven't like, <laughs> I know. are you joking me? What are you asking me? But this year has been increased because like everyone's had so much stuff on their plate. Oh yeah. And I had that, you know, having, um, he was, it was my second child, but the amount of people who just like literally, Oh yeah, you had you had that kid, didn't you? Anyway, yeah. So I think, wow. Not even you know, excuse me, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's quite. It's quite. I know I've already got one, but it was quite a big deal. But I could see from my friends' faces like they were so like yeah, everyone's plate was so full. Yes, this exactly. Year. Yeah, that's true. And it's yeah, I had two friends who who lost parents this past year, and obviously mm. someone in the club. I've been like, how are you? What's happening? To and then saying to other people, by the way, like it's only six months since like happened or this is a year yes. and, and other people being like oh is it being like yeah it is and I always say to people who ask like how I can help it's like put an iCal reminder mm. like just note the date iCal reminder a year later so and so's like dad's anniversary jot them a text on the day like stuff like that means so much yeah, and you're just does. like wow they remembered because it does feel like people don't and it it's not malicious it's just no, I'm thinking course. because they're you know their plates are just so full especially this past year and god you know people have been under so much pressure for so many different reasons mm. so you do I think as the anniversaries go on you get sort of like obviously I <laughs> I'm not that bothered if anyone doesn't remember 20, 20 plus years. I'm like, it's all right, guys, it's fine. Mm. But I do, you know, I think your close circle, you know, becomes really, really important to you. Yes, extremely. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I guess it's the one of the weird, again, like one of these weird benefits that you really do. Do you feel like that, that you are appreciating things on a different level? Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm a completely different person. <laughs> completely different person. I mean, I've always... Really? One one of the things that I kind of thought about was I've always been a happy person. Like I've always had a cheery disposition, as I say, because people always kind of meet me or whenever I've been interviewed, they sort of ask, how are you so positive? How do you say so? Like, is this an act? Is this just who you are? And I was worried that after my dad passed away that I would lose that. Mm. I was like, I'm going to be scarred. I'm now going to be bitter. I'm going to be a miserable person. <laughs> That's what I thought because I was like... I- I've faced like a really deep trauma and now I'm yeah, going to be, yeah. I'm not going to be able to smile anymore. That's just what I thought. But then while I was talking about it, I think that's why I went to therapy. Me and my sister agreed that we didn't want to change as people. We didn't want to become hardened to the world because of what mm. had happened. And then as soon as I spoke about it a lot more, I then got my mojo back, I guess. And my spark came back and I realized that actually I can still live on and be the same person and if anything I'm now doing everything for my dad it's completely changed me and I appreciate my loved ones a lot more I'm more understanding of people Mm. because I know that I've been through things and I've had to show up to work I've had to do this do that and no one knows what I've been going through and so I always now consider that a lot more when people are going through something if they lash out one day or they're a bit moody one day I always just think I don't know what they're going through <laughs> so I just you know I understand them a lot more yeah I think that's it's funny isn't it yeah because I think that's a lot of people have this fear of death you know that it will you'll just wear black forever and you'll mm. be miserable you know that'll be it and actually what it does is how can I describe it like it's not that you're like sad all the time. It's just that you can see the sadness and you can see the happiness. It just becomes yes. like you get a bigger picture. 
and everything's much clearer. So although you are more sensitive to sadness or you're more aware of it or other people's unhappiness, it doesn't mean you are like, oh oh my God, life's awful. You know, you're just (laughs) like, yeah, life sometimes is very hard. So I can be empathetic with that person because I know what it's like Mm -hmm. for life to be that hard rather than, I think, yeah, they're constant. And, you know, I've met people who are like super upbeat and really happy all the time. And I think that's, there's a place for that that's great yeah yeah (laughs) it's definitely it's nice you don't want everyone to have lost their dad at at 15 or lose their dad in a pandemic like it's great some people should be walking around Mm. like yeah nothing bad has happened yet and you're like (laughs) you know what I'm so good and and I always feel like yeah that's really that's really good that you know you get this plethora of experiences because you know we were all it's it's helpful for some people to be like you know what I think it'll be fine you need those people sometimes yeah <laughs> to be like yes. I think everything's gonna turn out great and you're like <laughs> I don't think that because of my learned experience but I'm glad that you do because that's you know one of us might be right so yeah I think it's important that that's and obviously you seem you still seem really positive has it just because you are a musician like has it has it affected your music and your creativity in a way that you didn't expect like do you find your it's coming out that way well yeah what was interesting was that in the first lockdown I was pouring out so much music Mm. it was like I was writing nearly every day I was just writing songs writing raps posting raps online I recorded an NHS charity single I was I was just doing so many things um because I felt like I don't know maybe it was an outlet for me I just felt like I needed Mm. to do something something else um to just not wallow in in the sadness I guess and I think because music was such a thing that bonded me and my father so I felt like a sense of comfort writing and singing and and doing things like that so I think music has helped me a lot as well actually and listening to all my dad's old records and putting on music that he loved makes me feel connected to him and yeah it's been amazing for me that's my dad was really into music he was a dj back in oh, his wow. day like well, you know not a, <laughs> like a disco proper disco jockey um and do you like how do you cope because i have this like love hate situation i've got better but like the songs that are like songs that you bonded over of like that like Ugh, i don't want to listen to it like are you do you just push on through and press play <laughs> yeah because i just like for example if I'm out somewhere as well I, I, there's also this thing you go through where you look for signs mm, isn't yeah. there like if I'm out somewhere and Bob Marley's playing or Van Morrison Brown Eye Girl is playing which is one of his favourite songs then I think oh, dad's here like I can think I take that as like oh, I can think about dad now in this moment or this is a nice reminder of him yeah yeah I think I've got through the the sadness I think because it got us through the grieving as well I think any mm-hmm. chance I had I was playing music that reminded me of dad me and Kesha and my sister were doing it constantly so it's really helped me it's good it's good if you can yeah turn to it and it can be a support have you are you particularly religious at all like have you so my mum is a devout Christian and I was raised Catholic so I went to church every Sunday, I went to Catholic school. I'd say, obviously, I'm not as devout as my mom, but I do have a strong faith and I do pray and I do believe that someone is watching over me and that if I pray, I can find strength in that. Mm. And I think that has helped me get through as well. I've yeah. prayed a lot. I've prayed with my mom a lot. I've prayed with my sister a lot. And that has definitely helped. My dad was an atheist. He didn't, didn't believe in any religion whatsoever um but it's helped me and it's been my guidance through it all I think and just coming to terms with that the fact that everyone's going to experience this Mm. because I think you know that yes one day everyone's going to die and you sort of say it flippantly oh yeah one day we're all gonna yeah we're all gonna die and then as soon as you lose someone you're like oh no we really are all gonna die (laughs) this happens like one minute the person is alive and talking and the next Mm. minute it's just literally a body like they're not even there anymore and then you realize how important like your soul and spirit is Mm. because seeing my dad lay there I was like that's not even my father I don't even know who that is and even with his house I remember leaving his house and me and my sister were standing there and going this isn't even dad's house anymore his spirit isn't here his Mm. soul isn't here his vibrant personality isn't here anymore and then you just realize you're kind of walking around in this like vessel it's really odd but you almost have that feeling as well don't you you're like Mm. none of this actually is really important on the outside 
Yeah, I think, and you don't get that until you've seen a dead body. Mm. I think really, yeah. not obviously, or until you've lost someone very close to you, not, you don't have to see the body. But I think that definitely yeah. affected me because I saw my dad's body and, and I, yeah, I was like, oh, a shell. That's a shell of a person. Yes. Like, that's not a thing. He's not there. And it, it it's your brain is like oh I see like what makes it. someone yeah <laughs> and whatever you want to call it you know soul or personality yeah. or spirit like whatever it means to you I was like oh he's not in there like he's definitely not in there that is just like a bag yes <laughs> of muscles and like flesh and it it was so weird to be like right and uh, yeah uh, you know I, I know so many people who who say oh we're all gonna die you don't say that when you've lost someone you say we're all gonna die one day like it's mm. you're like it's happening so yeah. it, it's <laughs> it matters whereas when someone i remember like i was at uni with someone who used to really like enjoy her sunbeds she's a lovely girl and she would say <laughs> oh I'll get skin cancer one day and die never mind i'll be old and i remember just sitting there thinking but you don't know what cancer looks like and you don't know mm. what someone looks like when they're dying and yes. you don't and I remember just thinking wow 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 you can say that so easily like when yes. people go oh well I'll just drop dead and it'll be fine you're like you don't know what that means because mm. you haven't seen it and yeah. and you're good I'm glad I'm glad they don't know <laughs> I'm glad well exactly yeah. you don't want anyone to know that no yeah. but when you do like you said it's it's such a different thing and yeah I think god if you can have faith through these processes yeah it, it's definitely why not yeah that's what grounds me i think that's what keeps me positive and keeps me smiling actually Mm. having that faith that's probably what what does anchor me what do you think my husband's a militant atheist what do you think (laughs) your dad would have said do you think he would have just smiled and laughed about it like whatever works for you do you know i did i actually made a joke um about it and i thought because he was super paranoid about covid Right. My dad was always worried about things. He was yeah. such an anxious person. Uh, if anything was happening, he'd be worried. If I was going to an audition, he'd be worrying about it all day. He was just that person. So we got to the point where we had to hide things from him until they were done because he would just panic constantly. Mm. And when the coronavirus hit, I mean, that was it. That was all he was focused on. Yeah. He was watching the news every day. He was reading every day. He was sending texts every day. He was paranoid about this virus. And it's almost like I feel, I mean, I don't know. I can't diagnose what happened to my father, really. I mean, he had clogged arteries. Mm. And that's what caused um, the cardiac arrest. But in my mind, I think he stressed so much and put so much pressure on his body that ultimately that was what kind of did it. And he was just, just so paranoid about it all. And I made a joke that he would be like sitting somewhere going, oh, thank God I don't have to worry about that anymore. Good luck, guys. Good luck with that one. Lockdown, one, two, three. Yeah, good luck. I always just think he's looking down, just laughing at the whole situation. Like he's had a lucky escape almost. Yeah, that's really funny. It's fair, I'm, I'm a real worrier. So yeah, I can completely understand you. If someone was like, we're done, you'd be like, oh my God, I don't have to worry about yeah, anything. Yeah, exactly. Oh, great. See you later, anyway, guys. See yeah. you later. <laughs> Good luck, though. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. I hope you are right. I know you have to stay in for so long. I'm so sorry. Um, God, yeah, that's funny, isn't it? I think it's interesting what you said about, yeah, the stressing and stuff, isn't it? Like, my dad worked really, really hard. He was a complete workaholic. And mm. you, you can't, you know, obviously, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But you mm. you can't help but try and, I guess, make a narrative and think back yes. on things and be like, hmm, I guess that didn't help, did it? Like, no. That no. he, yeah, this thing that he didn't, relent on and didn't really change probably didn't help his physical health in some way and yeah I think I find a bit of comfort from that because it, it kind of gives it a bit of sense rather than like this thing just happened out of nowhere kind of makes exactly. you go okay and it's not to say obviously if you work very hard you're not going to necessarily die from cancer that's not how it works no. um but it, when it's your narrative and your parent you you need to find a path to especially when it's sudden like that well, Fleur, thank you so much for speaking about him. It was it was so lovely to talk to you. And I, I you. really appreciate it, especially as I would say, you are very early on with your grief. And I know that people do appreciate people sharing that story because, you know, it's hard. The beginning is hard. Mm. <laughs> it's a really rough, raw journey. So the fact that you have are here and are still smiling and still talking about it, I think will be really helpful for people. Yeah, I think it, that's why I wanted to do it because I think the minute you hear someone else share their experience, you immediately feel a sense of comfort and you go, mm. okay, I'm not on my own. I'm not the first mm. person to go through this. I won't be the last. And actually, 
there is a better day, <laughs> mm. you know, because at the time it happens, you think that it's all going to be doom and gloom. Like I said, I felt like I was going to lose all sense of myself. I was going to be mm. this bitter person. And actually I've just learned to appreciate life a lot more and not to take anything for granted and live life to the fullest. It's allowed me to live life even more because I've seen, I've experienced loss and I've seen how quickly it can go. So if anything, I'm, I'm more positive in that sense because I'm yeah. like, yeah, let's go here. Let's do that. Like I don't overthink things anymore. Oh, well, that's damn good advice. Mm. <laughs> thank you so much for coming to talk to me about your dad. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You can follow Fleur on Twitter and Instagram at Fleur East. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. That's at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland. It was recorded remotely from my living room and I think at Fleur's radio job. The music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. And remember, wherever you are listening, firstly, thank you so much. If you are new and you are brave enough to try a conversation today, I know it's not always easy to dive into these podcasts. And as I say at the end of every show... You are not alone.